Hey guys, this is a one in two part series on female sexual dysfunction, talking about uh, the four different uh, kind of parts of female sexual dysfunction, uh, arousal disorders, desire disorders, orgasmic disorders, and then sexual pain. So that's what part one's going to be about. Thanks for listening. Hi ladies, it's Dr. Kelly Casperson coming to you from my office in rainy Pacific Northwest Washington State. Today I want to basically tell you about the handout that I give people when they come to see me about sexual dysfunction. So this is kind of your your handout cheat sheet if you were to come to a doctor like me who specializes in female sexual dysfunction. So today we're kind of going to talk through very briefly all the pieces and we can break them down in future podcasts. And please send me messages, follow me on Facebook at You Are Not Broken, which is our Facebook site landing page for when new podcasts come out. Uh, I would, I'm would i brand new at this podcast uh, thing. I think this is episode number seven, um, and I'm going to uh, be super excited to share with you that I made it on Apple iTunes this week, which is cool for me. Somehow that means that I'm, I'm out there in the world now because I, I listen to my podcasts on Apple. I would love a review and to share it with your friends if you find that this is information that needs to be out there. I, I saw this, there was a brief video Facebook post this week, and it was a pretty influential uh, male uh, social media guy. And he had on, one of his interviewers was a kind of a fitness natural guy. Uh, he looked great. Uh, he was definitely a salesman. And the topic they were discussing was basically three, three hacks for great sex. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. You know, I deal with this every day in my work. I'll listen to it. And it was ridiculous stuff. It was like eat watermelon, um, ingest ketamine, which is an illegal drug, um, rub nitroglycerin cream on your scrotum and your clitoris. Like it was mind-blowingly ridiculous pseudoscience. To me, I'm like, oh my gosh, if people don't know where to get accurate medical medical advice and medical knowledge and science and, and trials and people who've studied this, like they're going to go home, buy some watermelon, try to find some illegal drugs, and that's probably not going to help, you know, the majority of the sexual issues, which are biopsychosocial. So your hormones and your relationship and the stories you bring into your sex life and, and your knowledge of how your body works, like, don't just go get watermelon and ketamine. <laughs> like, oh my Lord. So I think all the more reason that doctors need to be out on social media and doctors, you know, I think doctors in general are kind of scared about being out on social media because we really want to help people and we really don't like uh, haters. We're afraid of trolls. I, you know, we're humans just like everybody else. But I think, you know, a lot of feedback I've gotten um, on this podcast is kind of how relatable I am and how much I just want to help you guys and how the feedback you guys give me on, on how you've been helped has really motivated me. And, and then the, you know, attractive sports guy with a million followers who's telling everybody to eat watermelon. I'm like, oh my good Lord. <laughs> oh my good Lord. So if I've helped, I already know I've helped more than one person with this and I'm just going to keep going because that's the sort of, you know, pseudoscience sex advice that is, uh, you know, mainstream social media right now. So 
Today's podcast is all about what is sexual dysfunction, specifically talking about female sexual dysfunction, um, specifically vaginal bearing individuals, um, because we're talking about uh, vulvas, vaginas, um, stereotypically or just average uh, females, but certainly this applies to any relationship, whether you're paired or you're in a same sex or heterosexual relationship, it doesn't matter. What we care about is pleasure and sexual health. So come one, come all, what is sexual dysfunction? So this is this is reading from information you're going to get if you came to a clinic like mine. I kind of put this together for, for average information, just general, get you started information. So when you have problems with sex, doctors call it sexual dysfunction. Both men and women can have it, but most commonly men have been the ones who've been going to doctors for this for a couple of decades because Viagra came out, oh, more than 20 years ago now. Um, in a lot of countries, you can just walk into the store and buy Viagra. You don't even need a prescription anymore, uh, specifically Costa Rica. <laughs> I've been to Costa Rica and I'm like, oh, you can just go buy Viagra there. So men are a lot more comfortable going to uh, to doctors for sexual dysfunction because we have... We've made it a medical problem for men and for women for the longest time, it hasn't been a medical problem. It's hard to make it a medical problem if you don't have treatments, right? Specifically FDA approved medications for it. Uh, and so I'm, I think that 2020 uh, is is really, I'm just starting to see this groundswell of it's it's not in your head, you aren't broken. These are medical conditions and you're you're not alone and it's incredibly common. So it makes no sense if only men go to doctors for, for sexual dysfunction because who the heck are they sleeping with and we need to help them too. So up to 70% of couples have a problem with sex at some time in their relationship. There's lots of different phases of relationships, right? Like the brand new, oh my gosh, I can't keep my hands off of you, hormone, new, uh, exciting, unknown part of your relationship. There's the part where you have kids. There's the part where you're pregnant. There's the part where you are breastfeeding. And all of these um, hormone changes change can change the intimacy and, and relationships with sex. Um, then there's postmenopause. There is perimenopause. There is a long-term relationship where maybe the desire needs to be worked on. So lots of different parts in relationships that can have can have sexual dysfunction. And certainly one important thing to to learn is what helped you then might not help you now. So now might be more of a desire issue or more of a hormone issue, whereas what worked for you when you were 18 is not what you can carry over into working with you when you're 53. Most women will have sex that doesn't feel good at some point in their life. There are four kinds of sexual problems in women, and the treatment is usually multidisciplinary. So in my world, it includes me as the urologist, a sexual therapist or a couple therapist, and then a physical therapist. So number one, desire disorders. It is normal to not just, quote, just want sex, quote, while not having sex. So a lot of people come around, they're just saying, I just want to have sex. Like I did when I was 18, I just wanted to have sex. And it's like, that's actually not a normal uh, experience for most people when they're older than 18. And just knowing that it's very common to have reactive desire fixes about 80% of desire disorders. So it's very, that was, that's kind of the, you know, the, the reason that my podcast is called You Are Not Broken, because just educating women on the difference between responsive and spontaneous sexual desires makes them feel more normal. And, and they say, well, I enjoy sex when I have it. I just need to know that getting there might take, you know, a little more work than me just waiting around for the spark to show up. And they feel incredibly relieved and normal that there, there isn't something further they need to do. 
So what we care about is do you have a good time once you're at the party? So if the party is sex and the desire is you wanting to go to the party, spontaneous desire is saying, I naturally want to go find a park. But most people don't have that desire. They have the, well, my friend came along and they said it might be a good party and I know I've enjoyed parties before. Um, and then you go to the party and you have a great time. So that's reactive desire. And the other, I, I like the other analogy uh, as far as food goes with spontaneous hunger versus reactive hunger. So spontaneous hunger is I'm hungry, I'm going to go out look for food. That's not how, how most people, we just say, oh, it's lunchtime, let's find food. Most of the time we're not walking around just looking for food. And then responsive hunger is I, have a, I had a great meal, but now the dessert table's rolling by. And you're like, well, I wasn't really hungry, but I like dessert, and so I'm going to go have some dessert. That's reactive desire. And that's the most common part for sexual desire in women is that reactive desires. I wasn't really looking for it, but I'll know I'll, I know I'll enjoy it once I get there. And just explaining that to people has an incredibly normalizing effect on, on them because that's not something we're taught, and certainly it isn't in the Hollywood movies or in porn or where people are getting their sex education from. So most women have responsive desire, meaning physiologic response happens once touch, etc. is initiated and not before. So you just have to get yourself to the party and then, they, and then women discover that their desire is present. So filbanserin and bremelanotide, the brand names are Addy and Vilesi, are the prescription medications used to treat hypoactive or low sexual desire disorder or HSDD in women who have not gone through menopause and who have low desire no matter the type of their sexual activity, their situation, or their sexual partner. So that, those are the two, uh, and they're brand new. These have just come out, and I have other uh, conversations specifically talking about those medications. So again, not useful, or not useful, but not studied in postmenopausal women. So it's, it's uh, technically off-label if a postmenopausal woman was to take these medications. So the next one is topical testosterone. Again, off-label. There's no testosterone product specifically in America that's FDA-approved for low uh, sexual desire. Usually people try them for about three months and then reassess. A really great book to understand desire disorders is Come As You Are. Uh, it's written by Dr. Emily Nagoski, um, N-A-G-O-S-K-I. I hope I said her name right. Sorry, Emily. Um, and she talks a lot about the brakes and accelerators and the myth of spontaneous desire. And also a sex therapist is a very, really useful in working through history and relationships as far as desire goes. So that's desire disorders. Number two is arousal disorders. This refers to the physiologic process of arousal, including vaginal lubrication and genital warmth related to blood flow. Uh, menopause and hormone changes need to be addressed because certainly if there's already kind of baseline dryness from low estrogen in the vulva, that can be improved with hormones. Uh, vibrators, lubrication, directed masturbation can be helpful. Uh, medication side effects like antidepressants can be a cause of arousal disorders. And sex therapy can be very useful. Hormonal treatment can be very useful. Um, both vaginal estrogen and testosterone, as well as systemic hormones, are used to treat arousal and desire. No FDA-specific medications for arousal disorders at this time. So still, still uh, on the works as far as that goes. You might be uh, you might be reassured by a normal genital exam and have somebody. You know, again, this is this is a, a whole other topic for a podcast. But how do you find somebody who knows what the heck they're looking at when they look at your vulva and your clitoris? Because I think the vulva and the clitoris were kind of just the, the gateway curtains to get to the pap smear in a lot of medical training. But I saw a woman, 
not that long ago for uh, more orgasmic disorders, we'll, we'll get to next, but she had clitoral phimosis. And the uh, distance between her, her vagina and her clitoris was on the longer uh, side. And studies have shown that women whose clitorises are farther away from their vaginas have much less success in uh, achieving orgasm with penile penetration alone. And so me just explaining her anatomy and then giving her some targeted therapies for the clitoral phimosis made her feel like, oh, there is actually a reason why I might have never had an orgasm before. And she's like, why has everybody told me my exam's been normal before? So finding somebody who knows how to do a, a, a thorough, comprehensive female pelvic exam and can give feedback to you um, is, very, is very useful for a lot of women. So we're going... Uh, Going forward, number three, orgasmic disorder. So orgasmic dysfunction is a condition that occurs when someone has difficulty reaching orgasm, delay, or absence of orgasm. And this can be new or it can be lifelong. This difficulty occurs even when they're sexually aroused and when there's enough sexual stimulation. So medication side effects are a common reason for this, as well as alcohol and psychological barriers. Alcohol is interesting because it, it helps with desire. It helps you want to get to the party. It Alcohol is very uh, well studied in how it makes you not think about the future. It kind of makes you myopic. So you're not really thinking about your to-do list about tomorrow or the kids, you know, band project or, you know, the stresses at work. You can really focus on your partner and be like, yeah, and right now I'm interested in sex because I don't have all these other breaks on my brain. But the problem is alcohol is a depressant. So it'll help you get to the party, but then the party might not be as good. So it's really truly a double-edged sword with alcohol. Um, vibrators, lubrications, and directed masturbation can be helpful as far as orgasmic disorders. Um, delayed or less intense orgasms may be related to decreased general blood flow or indulged genital sensation. So if you have any cardiovascular disease or neurologic disease, that can come into play. 90% of women orgasm with clitoral stimulation. And this is one of the big myths in our society is that women are supposed to orgasm with penis and vagina or PIV sex. And it's simply the data just does not uh, back that up. So don't listen to Hollywood. Don't listen to, well, don't listen to anybody in society <laughs> or especially men. Men have been told through their new sex education of porn that penis and vagina is incredibly satisfying to women. And so there's this huge disconnect between science-based reality and both what men and women expect uh, in their relationship. So it's actually very rare to have orgasm with just vaginal penetration alone. It's about less than 20%, actually. And this becomes more true as women age and the clitoris becomes even more important in sexual satisfaction. So estrogen and testosterone replacement uh, can be very useful in making sure your clitoris appears healthy on exam, making sure there isn't any adhesions or anything that's kind of tethering the skin or causing movement to be painful which leads to number four, sexual pain disorders. So this can be deep around initial penetration at the vulvar skin level. It can be due to pelvic floor muscle spasms, genital urinary syndromes of menopause or hormone deficiency, as well as vaginal penetration prior to adequate lubrication and foreplay. So this is huge for my young women that don't have any uh, hormonal disorders, and they're just rushing into penis and vagina sex. So there's no foreplay. And I educate them and I say, number one, the vagina actually lengthens and tilts with arousal to make itself ready for the penis. And if you just start out by putting the penis in the vagina, there is absolutely pain because the pelvis has not been prepared. And sex education, again, in this country is 
ridiculous. But most people don't know that. And it, and it kind of brings in more of like a science-based reason for foreplay of like your vagina actually prepares for the penis. And if you don't do that preparation, you will have, you will have to tend to have way more pain with sex. Um, also lubrication um, is essential. 80, the study I read, 86% of Americans use lubrication. So the people who don't use lubrication, I'm like, let's get on board. Everybody else is using it. Really decreases friction. Um, and, and decreases pain. I saw, so I'm a surgeon and, and I see people with female sexual disorders and I had two young women in one week come into my clinic complaining of pain with sex and they didn't do adequate foreplay and they didn't do lubrication. And I kind of had, this was like, you know, things leading up to me starting podcasts, but I'm like, I had two people come to a surgeon and, and they basically got the lubrication foreplay conversation. And I'm like, what's wrong with this world that like that they had to come to me as the person to, to tell them that. So, you know, reason number 47 that I'm like, if I can start a podcast that normalizes this discussion, you don't have to make it all the way to me before somebody, you know, you find some education about your body and, and how to prepare it for sexual intercourse. So going back to sexual pain disorders. Um, it's best managed with multidisciplinary approach. Again, the urologist, therapist, physical therapist. It's kind of my three-legged stool of sexual dysfunction. Like if you don't address the muscles or the hormones or the relationship and your, your own brain uh, coming into your sexual relationship, you're not going to be as successful that it, than if you do it all together. Um, and I had that conversation with a woman this week. She was like, well, I want to do X, but I don't want to do Y. And I'm like, you know, my successful women do it all at the same time. And the other thing about doing doing it all is you don't set yourself up for failure and then disappointment. And then your next expectation is, well, those things didn't work. So this isn't going to work. For example, like I'm just going to try hormones, but not uh, dilators. I'm just going to try hormones, but not vibrators. I'm just going to try a vibrator, but not a sex therapist. It's like, try, try everything at the same time. You're more likely to start seeing progress and hope and then you get more excited and put more energy into your your improvement than if you're like, oh, that failed. What's next? Oh, that failed. That that's next. It's really comprehensive, and and my advice is started all at the same time. So, um, going back to sexual pain disorders, lubrication, hormones, um, vaginal dilators, or just uh, a touch that isn't sexual to kind of downregulate the nervous system. Vibrational therapy is useful for some people. Um, the vaginal laser is useful for skin tenderness, um, great for healing skin and getting softer skin, um, but it does not address tender pelvic muscles. And so the vaginal laser is definitely a topic for a much bigger podcast, but uh, I think it is useful. I think studies are still preliminary. But the thing about lasers is it helps the skin only. It will not help your brain. It will not help your relationship issues. And it will not help your pelvic floor muscles. So going into any sort of laser treatment, thinking it's going to be this magic wand for everything, a woman's more likely to get uh, disappointed than if she comes to a specialist who is multidisciplinary and uses the laser for what the laser is good for. Uh, and it's very clear that there are other things needed. So I think that that's it's good to have good expectations and not think a, a magic wand is going to fix your relationship issues. So those are the four uh, sexual dysfunction kind of categories that the International Society for Women's Sexual Health and the, the researchers use uh, to break down research on sexual dysfunction. So thanks 
for listening. I hope that was useful. That was only the front page of my sexual dysfunction handout. So I'll do a different uh, podcast on, uh, I'll run down the back side page uh, of my sexual dysfunction handout. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook at You Are Not Broken. Um, If you would love, be the first person to give me a five-star review. (laughs) That would be awesome. I don't think I have any reviews right now. So if I am relatable and I'm providing a service and you feel more normal after listening to me, I'd, I'd really love the gift of the, that feedback. So thank you so much and have a good day.